Hey, this is Sean Grigsby. Welcome to Cosmic Dragon, episode 31. Today we're talking to Andy Peliquin, who is an indie author. You'll hear more about him and his approach to marketing, which is something I always find interesting to ask self-published authors, because being a traditional published author, uh, a lot of that's taken off of me. Not all of it, but a lot. And uh, I always want to know how others who have to do it themselves, how they approach it. It's always a fascinating subject, especially for someone trying to sell more books. Speaking of books that I'm trying to sell, uh, I have a, quite a few, okay, maybe just two, <laughs> out right now. So uh, I wrote Smoke Eaters for Angry Robot Books, which is about firefighters versus dragons in the future. The sequel to that is Ash Kickers, but that doesn't come out until July 9th of 2019. And... Uh, that's Firefighters vs. Dragons vs. a Phoenix in the future. Now, Daughters of Forgotten Light is my other book that came back, that came out back in September, and that is uh, a very, a very tough emotional ride, <laughs> and not just because it's about motorcycle gangs in space, but uh, it really uh, hooks into your, your feels, if you know what I mean. But uh, that's a fun one too. Now let me. Get down to brass tacks here, people, because award season is uh, starting to wrap up, and I just want to let you know a few things. First of all, I am up, I'm eligible for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and I'd love your nomination for that, but also this podcast is up for Best Fan Cast. Uh, Ditch Diggers, that uh, I was recently a guest on, they won last year, so that'd be nice to be nominated for, too, if you enjoy this podcast enough to nominate it. Enough about me. Hey, let's jump in and talk to Andy Peliquin. No, it's it's so much more fun when it's you know totally unexpected. Exactly. <laughs> I like it's it's you know I took I was a theater kid. I okay. took improv and stuff. I like just throwing it out there. You know, like it's a conversation. I think that's what's more interesting is that people kind of come in and they hear us discussing stuff. You yeah. know, so it's kind of like they're eavesdropping on this conversation between two writers at a bar or, you know, some speakeasy or <laughs> whatever it was in the 20s and 30s or, or nowadays. So, um, yeah. everybody, we're here with Andy Peliquin. Andy, say hello. Hello, and thank you for getting my name right. You'd be surprised how many times people are like, uh, how do you say that? <laughs> really? Well, you know, it's actually, I'm <clears throat> sorry, it's French-Canadian, so it's Peloquin, but I don't want to sound like a total douchebag, so I just go with Peloquin. It's so much easier. Well, it's it's a cool name to say. It sounds like some kind of rare bird that's like yeah. a cross between a Fair pelican enough. and it's a, it's a French-Canadian pelican. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> actually, there is a character Peloquin from Nightbreed. That's actually someone was like, oh, that's where I've heard get, that name. Did you get your name from that? And I was like, what? no, because I'd never, I'd never heard that. Well, that's your that's your actual name, right? That's not yeah. a pseudonym. What exactly. what kind of question is that? Did you? <laughs> like, well, because they were they were huge Nightbreed fans, so they were like, oh, you know, it's a great name to choose for your author name, you know, because I was writing because Nightbreed is sort of this anti heroic, uh, demonic character, and this was when I had just come out with the first Hero of Darkness novel, which is also anti hero, half demon character. So they're like, man, that was a great choice of of pen name for this series, and I was like. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I was actually born with that name. Yeah. Oh, that's... And Nightbreed was such... It's such a strange movie, but it's still so, like, the uh, the atmosphere and the ambiance of that film is just... I mean, Clive Barker's a good director on top of being a good uh, writer. Yeah. As well as an artist, apparently. So oh, you can wow. just do all that kind of stuff. Man, but, I've always envied artists. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I write a comic book and and my artist and it's like I can't I I can't draw. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Is that you know it, we're we're each like I I love music and I think I'm fairly decent at it, but not to the point where I think I can make a career out of it, like okay. writing. And it's just I think like and hell Einstein played the violin, but you don't see him going on tour. Yeah, you know it's true. It's just I think we're we're more inclined to be better in a certain area sometimes and sometimes there are renaissance people who are good at all kinds of stuff 
Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. But you know, the the one thing that I envy most about artists is that their their work isn't so solitary. Like as a fellow writer, I'm sure you know how absolutely solitary it is. Yes, to, to write stories. Whereas when I was hanging out, uh, I have friends who are comic book artists, and they're they make a whole party out of it. You know, they're up all night long. They're drawing. They're listening to music. They're drinking. They're hanging out. And of course, the you know the work is just absolute masterpieces. But it's so much more social. Or there is is the ability to socialize or they watch TV shows or listen to audiobooks and it's something that doesn't take as much concentration or to the same sort of concentration as writing does. I'm so jealous of that. I know. You can't, you can't have a writing party. <laughs> well, you could, but I wouldn't be I, I'd have to strap in my headphones and be like, "Sorry y'all, I'm out." I, yeah, it would I, be like it would be like a silent disco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turn on some binaural beats and like you walk in and then everybody's just in their own corner you know and i'm not an introvert i'm very social and 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 out there and i like to be around people but when i come when it comes down to my writing i i want solitude and just nobody fucking with me yep. <laughs> basically that'd Routine, be funny the comfortable place you know whether it's your desk whether it's your chair your bed wherever you know the place where it where it happens it's it's always easiest there yeah, you can't really sit on the couch and watch, you know, Judge Judy or something and, and type <laughs> out. I mean, you'll start to <laughs> even when people try to talk to me or, or if I'm listening, that's why I can't listen to uh, music with words because I f sometimes find that sometimes the words pop into the dialogue or something. And it's just like, no, I, I, Judas Priest, you don't belong in this <laughs> pirate fantasy I'm writing. Uh, <laughs> or maybe you do if that's the thing but yeah i like to i yeah. like to stick to the 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 theme uh and and do that that's interesting yeah. freaking artists you know, I, I actually i actually uh was doing like blogging and copywriting for a number of years i still do a little bit on the side to support the the writing habit um but but i, I got used to doing it with music so now i can just put on whatever i want like i my, my playlist my writing playlist has like five finger death punch next to selena gomez with simon and garfunkel skrillex and you know classical music mixed in and it's just you know i, I i've stopped hearing the words as much as sort of feeling the the emotions of the song so i, I don't have to you know be super particular about my music anymore thankfully wow that's like an emotional roller coaster <laughs> oh absolutely and it, and it's it's amazing because you know you sit down to write and i always have my my scenes more or less plotted out you know i know what i want the scene to accomplish i don't have the you know the the blow by blow or how they're going to get there but i know what i want each scene to you know to do to accomplish the story at large and so i sit down and according to what i'm listening to the scenes sort of evolve and it still follows the same track, but it, the mood is sort of guided in a way by whatever I'm listening to. And so I always have my playlist set at random. Right. And it's just amazing how I'll end up doing things or, or adding bits and pieces that I had never expected to do before because the music's taken me on this emotional journey. Yeah. That's well. Let's since we're talking about your process a little bit, yeah. like, and I talked to you last night on your podcast, uh, Fantasy Fiends, um, which is a video podcast, and I don't know if there's another name for it or not. Uh, it's a, a web show or web a webcast, show. yeah, YouTube yeah. show. I don't know, too many names for them. <laughs> but it's called Fantasy Fiends, and uh, uh, we kind of talked about before uh, we jumped into the show. We talked about how many books you've written. And uh, so what's your your writing process like? I know you asked me like how many words I wrote a day, but uh, yeah, how many words do you shoot for a day? What what on a good day? Because I know asking that question is like, well, shit, I, I try to do as much as I can and, and what I can. But on a good day, what is your process like? Okay, so so unfortunately, I don't have good days or bad days. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do have good days and bad days. But um, because I've been, I did the copywriting thing for many years, and you know, as a self-employed professional, you know, you gotta sort of make your money. You gotta make a certain amount of money, which means writing a certain number of words or getting a certain number of projects completed. So I've sort of developed this habit where I sit down and I work, work work my ass off until the chapter or the scene or however much I had set for myself is written, and then I get up and walk away. So usually I will set aside my, – my work is about 4,000 words in two to two and a half hours. 
4,000 words in two to two and a half hours. Yeah. And then I'll do about, I'll do that about 10 times a week. So on Monday and Tuesday, I just have the afternoons because I use Monday and Tuesday as business days. You know, when I update my website and send out my newsletter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Wednesday, I'll usually do two writing shifts. So it's about 8,000 words. And then Thursdays and Fridays are full days. So between 12 and 14,000 words those days. Woo! See, people were saying, because a a while back I was talking about how I wrote like 1,000 words in an hour. And I was good for the day. Uh, The well was dried up. And they were like, how do you do that? And, you know, (laughs) everybody's different. But good grief, man. 4,000 words in two and a half hours. That's uh, that's cooking. Well, that's that's sort of the the benefit of having an outline in the sense of I know where the story needs to go. So all I really have to do is follow the emotional journey or, you know, the the tension or the world building. I just basically follow the path that I've laid out for myself beforehand. I do a lot of research beforehand. I, you know, I get into my character's mindsets. I do research into, you know, whatever I need to whatever I'm writing into the scenes or the stories so that when I sit down to write, I have everything I need already at my hands and then i can just i can just focus on writing but then this is a trick that i've developed that i don't think a lot of authors use is i don't actually do all the detailed backgrounds as i write like let's say yesterday i was writing um these characters it's a special ops in a fantasy world story and they're going to negotiate with the enemy chieftain right Right. So they're riding into the city, and this city is the biggest city of their of their enemies, and it's got this big wall, and it's got all kinds of awesome stuff. And all that I described was the wall, because the rest of it is, you know, you've got to build the city according to how the Vikings built their city, you know, with the longhouses, and what type of huts did they use, and did they have cobblestone streets, or did they just have mud streets? And so, you know, that kind of stuff requires a lot of research. So writing that while I'm trying to get in the flow of the story and work on the stakes and the tension and the character emotions and the 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 nervousness over potential assassins hiding in the alleys and oh what's going to happen when we start negotiating with this enemy king. If I got into all those details, it would sort of it would take you it. out of it. Yeah, yeah, you would be that editorial brain engaging because that's where you've really got to focus on the you know the specific words used and the descriptions and that's a lot. It is right brain stuff, creative, but it's also very particular and precise left brain stuff. Oh, yeah. So all I do is I just say Viking City because in my head, I know what the city needs to look like. I know that they need to go through, you know, from the wall, through the streets with people there. That's pretty that's pretty self-explanatory that I can come back later and describe it in the story now when i get to the battle scene that's going to take place in the marshes i've got to understand what the field looks like what the marshes are going to look like so you know i'm going to have to do a bit more time and development on those scenes but for a lot of stuff that's not unnecessary but more background that doesn't directly affect the story i will just write it in caps you know i'll say describe city uh longhouse people on the streets and then I'll just move on. And then so I do that first draft. The first draft ends up being, oh, about 75% of the length of the total book. And then once that is done, I'll go right back and flesh out all those details so that the book is is finished. And I'll often find that having that going back right away, the, the story is still fresh in my mind. So I'm able to think, oh, man, I really should have introduced this little bit of tension here, or I should have set up that revelation later on, or, oh, I forgot to include this here. So it really helps me to to tighten up the story to where I haven't really done any huge rewrites on a story in about 10 books. That's good. That's a good process. I, I've, I've been doing the same thing because... Uh, I, I told you last night the Alpha Smart thing. I've got the word oh, processor. Yeah. It's distraction free, no internet. So if I if I if I run into a thing where I either <laughs> because the actual the whole chunk of the book is going to be on my computer. Yep. So if I forget a certain name or a certain description of something, I'm not going to go look for it. I'm just going to put it like a parentheses and a question mark or whatever, and uh, just keep going because yeah, if I or if there's a bit of research that I need to do for some reason. Um, if I go and I look it up, that takes me out of the story, and then I'll end up on Twitter talking about some <laughs> dumb shit or, or Facebook or something, and then it's like, oh, well, I just wasted 30 minutes I could have been writing. 
because you're going to have to go back anyway uh, and do a, another draft at least. Yeah. Uh, so why not just, yeah, get into the story, lay the groundwork, lay the skeleton down. And every once in a while, yeah, you may craft an awesome heart that <laughs> you're just super inspired. But most of the time, yeah, you're going to have to come back anyway. So might as well just get the the, the basics of the story down. Exactly. Exactly. And then as you like, if you, I found that as I do that, it sort of helps me follow the emotional journeys of the characters because that's really what drives the story forward for me. Yeah, is is the characters and what they're experiencing through all the crap that I throw at them, obviously. Um, and so once I sort of see what the theme of the story is through the twists and turns and emotional ups and downs that I put the character through, then I can go back and sort of tighten those up, make them clearer. Not a bunch of like rewriting or overhauling, but just lean into it a little bit more. Yeah. What's, what's your opinion on writerly advice books and things like that? They are worth their weight in gold and totally useless. That's a great <laughs> you know, answer. Every, <laughs> every, every writer is going to have something that will work for someone. You know, there will be some piece of advice that sticks in their mind and just absolutely changes the way that that they see it. For example, your nemesis, Nicholas Eames. Yes. <laughs> um, the one thing that stood out to me from his story, aside, this is Kings of the Wild, aside from all the great writing and stuff, it was the character um, Moog. Right, who has yeah. this, you know, he's got his whole mission with them. He's trying to cure the whatever the, the plague was. But really his driving force is this hunt for the owl bears. Yeah. Right. That's his personal thing. <laughs> and that for me, it made his character number one so much more entertaining because yeah. everyone's like, You're an idiot, owl bears don't exist. And number two, it made him so much more real. So when I when I actually start to, uh, sat down to write this story that I'm working on now, I had just finished reading Kings of the Wild and I was like, Okay, what am I gonna do here? And I gave one of my characters sort of a version, his version of the hunt for the owl bears. It's definitely much darker. Because if he doesn't find what he's looking for, the people that he, you know, he worked for are going to kill him. So it's got those stakes to it. But it's, you know, that thing of every person has their own individual mission. That was one thing that I took away from Kings of the Wild that I never expected to going into it. Yes, I like that. And uh, it it reminds me of what Vonnegut said about uh, writing stories in, in that give every character a... Uh, something they want even if it's just a glass of water and it's so much more interesting when they have because you know it's easy to because you know the main conflict of in your plot so obviously the main character's like driving force is going to be to fight against that but not everybody is going to be on that same page exactly everybody's going to magically go oh we all know this is the plot so we all got to fight toward this uh i think it's way more interesting if they, like you said, they have their own individual goals and aspirations and, and schemes, and it's awesome when those schemes clash with the main plot as well, and it's because that adds more nuance and more conflict and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So that was that was sort of what I was saying, you know, referring to in the about the writerly advice books is that there may be something in there that is worth its weight in gold, something you take away that makes your writing just so much better than it was. So approach these things with the mindset of, all right, let's let's mine the gold from it, but don't base your life around it. That's why it says, you know, other, utterly worthless, because what works for you may not work for me. What works for Stephen King may not work for me even a little bit. So, you know, it, you you approach everything from the perspective of, okay, how can I take this and make my writing better without feeling bad that I don't write as well as him or my writing approach is different than him? Just bettering without the negative connotation, let's say. It's like a big bazaar or market, you know? You got all this cool shit lying out but you don't have to take it all <laughs> and some stuff might taste like crap to you yeah uh, it's it just it's just and a lot of it's subconscious I, I said something like this uh earlier throwing stupid writer advice out on the internet uh <laughs> but it's it's you get better at writing by writing and reading a lot and a lot of the the things that, you know you read kings of the wild and then you got that aspect and you're like oh yep. you, you you spotted it and then you put it in your toolbox. It's the same with writing uh, advice books. Is that, yeah, th- you may find something in this. You might not find a thing. But who cares? Like, I, I know people tr- just getting into the game, they're, they're so eager and they're so ready to soak up everything, which is awesome. That that hunger is, is, is necessary, I think. Yeah. But 
I think that's where some fall down is that they think they have to do it just like this person or that person instead of doing yeah. their own individual thing. Definitely. And and so actually last night I was having a discussion with, with a very well-regarded fantasy author about um, people who write fast because he had said, oh, you know, one author posted that they had already written 300,000 words this year, which is absolutely mental. Right. Um, and, and he said, you know, I feel like anybody who writes that fast is probably writing, you know, not that great, uh, garbage, <laughs> hot, hot shit were the words. Um, and I was like, okay, well, so I write around 40,000 words a week, which is not 300,000 words in six weeks, but it's still a lot. Right. And, and I wasn't, I wouldn't say, like, I didn't, I didn't get offended by it. What I wanted to do was, was shatter this myth that writing fast is writing bad, just like everything else. You know, anyone, anytime someone tells you that you should or should not do something, they're putting these limitations on you and your art that if you, if you bind yourself to them, you could end up doing your art an injustice. So, listening to this advice when people say you should or you shouldn't do things or these very strong opinions that this is good, this is bad, you could I, I try to dispel the myth because it's all about finding your own journey. You know, no one no one taught Picasso to paint the way he did. He learned the basics in his um you know, in his his art foundation courses, but then he went his own way and made amazing things. So learn the foundation, you know, soak up as much as you can and then do it the way that you that feels right to you. Yeah, I, I'm never for any advice that doesn't start with the caveat of this is just my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hate that whole like, and I thankfully don't see it very often anymore, but that strong like, this is the way you should do it. Just sit down. Just <laughs> yeah. I think support is probably the best thing one writer can do for another. Um, and that, and by the way, talking about support, that that's another thing that I've tried to develop in myself. Is yeah, I'm going to promote myself. I I have to. <laughs> uh, that's no lie. That's part of what this podcast is: is uh, uh, creating content for my website, and and hopefully, you know, with cool authors like you, who your readers might check out my stuff. However. It's also mainly to promote other authors because I know that there aren't that many resources for many people to get the word out on their books besides, you know, just throwing shit up on Twitter all the time. Yeah. And so I try to retweet and share <clears throat> and, and, and read and compliment other people's books because I know how freaking tough it is and, and call yeah. it karma or whatever. But I, I would hope that other people would do the same for me. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 a tough gig. Um, I was actually talking with someone yesterday, um, after right after the Fantasy Fiends podcast. He texted me. He's like, you know, I'm thinking of signing a deal with a big publisher. You know, what do you think? And so I was I was talking with him. I was like, all right, so here's my experience with this publisher. Here's my experience with that publisher. Here's my experience with someone else's thing. And and it was all about just trying to help them have as much information as possible so they can make an informed decision. And they were like, shit, that's that's hard to hear. Right. And I was like that, but you know, if someone had told me that cold hard truth when I went in, I don't think I would have quit, but I would have tailored my approach very differently. Yeah. What's something you would tell yourself now? Man, that's that's a tough call. I, I <laughs> um, I would definitely tell myself not to worry about about just getting stuff out there. So when I started, my goal was to just put things out there so I could start, you know, building my newsletter list and and making my name visible. And in my hurry to do that, I put out a product that wasn't amazing. Thankfully, with with Amazon, I could unpublish it. Right. And then and then knowing that I hadn't done the best job, I went with the publisher, and that whole experience was awesome. And I definitely don't regret it. But I was focused on putting something out there that I failed to, to sort of have a long term game plan. And now. Now that I am thinking long term, like I approach every series as a complete series as one product. Right. So the one that I'm releasing now, Heirs of Destiny, I wrote the whole series before releasing the first book and bought all the covers and paid for all the editing so that it was easier than, all right, this one book is is not doing so well. I'm worried. It's like, okay, the whole series is doing 
as as well as I'd hoped, not as well as I'd hoped, I can evaluate it through the series at large as opposed to just one book. Oh, my God, my hopes are crashed because this isn't a bestseller overnight, you know? Right. So it's all about the long game in this in this particular profession. That's something I'm trying to focus on now, too, is taking my time. Um, which may sound strange to some people <laughs> since I'm, I'm published, but that that was my thing too. I, I would, I, you know, I write basically two books a year, um, which is probably too much in the traditional uh, publishing world, um, unless you have a pseudonym or are hybrid and you're going to self-publish one and not the other. Um, but really, my focus now is taking my time and really getting the story in the book right and not worrying about oh i gotta get i gotta get another book out i gotta get you know it's easy to get caught up in that i don't think it's very conducive for creativity or maybe it is depending on the person but i think every book's different but and for this one for me i'm slowing way down yep yeah that's something that that i'm finding too so the heirs of destiny series like i said i wrote the whole series before releasing one and i had a very specific goal in mind so i ended up writing five books in five months which is about six hundred thousand words all told so it was definitely a lot of work right and i but i blasted through that one because i had this deadline in mind and i don't think the writing suffered for it it was just a different sort of story you know there's not the the deep introspection or the real focus on the character building that i did in my other series so now i this new series that i'm working on is taking a lot longer because i'm really focusing or it feels like it's taking a lot longer let's say <laughs> right because i'm focusing on the story of the characters and you know um you know it's military fantasy but it's been about 10 or 15 chapters since there's been a battle but it's all the character building and the world building and setting up the stakes and the tension and all of that and so i feel like once it's done it's going to be a whole lot better because i really let it breathe um and i and i i want to keep maintaining that approach even if it means that i'll you know i'll be writing a little bit slower or releasing a little bit slower but by letting each story breathe and really take its time to develop and mature like wine you know yeah um it makes it so much better now, you being an indie author now, what do you find, and I always ask this of, of my self-published guests uh, or hybrid guests, it, it, because I feel like you guys know <laughs> a lot better about this. Um, what, as far as marketing, do you feel works the best and what doesn't work as well, at least for you? Hmm. So the number one thing, okay, I'll, I'll give you the two things that I would say have made the biggest difference for me. Number one is a quick release. So the Hero of Darkness series was released one book, one week between book one and two, two weeks between two and three, three weeks between three and four, and then four weeks between four, five, six, and seven. Hmm. And that, that's pretty quick. It is very, very quick. But what that does is it caters to readers who are, you know, those hardcore devouring series in a week sort of things. And I've actually, I've gotten a lot of e uh, messages lately saying, well, I just finished your first, you know, your new book in, in two days. And now I have to wait two whole weeks before the next one comes out. And so these are the kind of people who are just hardcore book addicts. And those are the ones who you, uh, who I want to cater to because that's, that's who I am and it's who I write for. Right. So, so so the rapid release definitely did wonders not only for my career but also for my confidence you know being able to say so i've put out this book and all of a sudden with with no real hopes of anything i hit you know 500 and some in the amazon store and people were reading you know i, I think i i got like three or four million page reads in one month between three or four books because you know thanks to kindle unlimited you can get a lot of a lot of people reading at a lot of time and of course that's great money but it's also a lot of people reading all of the stories and you know going into my world and so being able to do this rapid release it's one of the the best things about indie publishing because you can cater to those sort of people and the second thing that i would say has helped me the most is learning advertising so Traditional methods of marketing, the, the free ones, unfortunately, aren't working as well as they used to. And I think most authors who stick with that will agree because it's something that, you know, everyone everyone does 
the you know the cool Facebook posts and the tw- the teasers and the tweets and the things like that, the blogs and all right. that. That's that's the effectiveness is growing limited. Right. But paid ads, it's something that not everyone number one knows how to do, number two can afford to do. Yeah. So it's got a lot less competition in it. And that's actually one huge difference that I noticed as a self publishing author. I can spend up to 100% of my daily income on ads and see 300% return on investment tomorrow. So it's, it's, it's again, it's this trade-off, you know, short-term loss for long-term gain. And because, you know, you're making the full, whatever, 35 to 70% royalties, it's worth making those investments. Oh, yeah. It's probably it, better than, like, what I did and just buy a bunch of stickers. <laughs> to send out to people yeah well you know actually i would say that that a lot of the most successful authors are the ones who are going hybrid i mean mark lawrence just self-published a new book um michael j sullivan he is he is a quiet superstar you know people well he started as a self-published author too and he still self-publishes you yeah. know he'll he'll do some series through publishers he'll uh you know, he'll do Kickstarters for his audiobooks. He'll self-publish other stuff. Like, like a traditional publishing gives you street cred, as it were. You know, you get name brand recognition. Uh, you get your book in bookstores, which gives you access to a huge amount of the market. But then learning the, the ins and outs of self-publishing also gives you access to things that, you know, like Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the big five publishers will never master kindle unlimited because their books are never going to be in it right you know so so it's it's a very different style of of publishing and marketing and advertising so that's why a lot of authors who sort of diversify who go hybrid they're wildly successful financially obviously maybe their books aren't you know literary masterpieces that win awards and become the talk of the town but they you know they make a good living off of it and yeah, but, and that's just you know, you, you, that's great, but you can't eat that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can't trade your Hugo for, you know, Cheerios and, and ground beef and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and that's one thing that I have that I have come to realize about myself. I have won awards for my books, and, I you know, I, I'm super proud of the awards. But it's not what drives me anymore i mean the fact that i have one definitely is is you know probably what what brought on that change but now it's like okay what matters more to me that people you know say oh he's an award-winning author best-selling author i mean best-selling means i've made a ton of money off of it so obviously i want that but but what i want is for people to say this is the kind of story that i can't put down or i've just binge read every single book that you've ever written because i love this story i love this world that you've created so that's my approach to writing and that was actually one of the the things that i was talking about in the conversation with this author last night he's you know he's the kind of author who like nicholas eames labors over every word and makes sure it's crafted perfectly right that is that is a skill that i do not possess you know and and i don't that's why i I will never you know be bathed in literary glory but what i will have (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is a bunch of readers who said, okay, I loved this series. What's next? Right. That, that for me is my definition of success where people come back to me and they're like, I threw my Kindle across the room because you killed my favorite character or how the hell could you be so damn cruel to put this character through this? Or when is the next book coming out? These, these for me are the, the markers of success as a writer. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, I think we all have to stop and remind ourselves about. Because it's yeah. easy to get into the, well, well, so-and-so won an award. I want that, too. You know, it's that weird jealousy thing, which obviously looking outside in, it's like, just shut the hell up and write. I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with you? You know, but it's it's so weird. And that's that's something in, in, in internally I'm dealing with. It's like, it's like you said, it's figuring out what's important and yeah. what what is it that – what matters the most? You know, obviously – Writing for awards is not, I don't think, a successful endeavor because you can't control that. And that's it, what are you doing? But like you said, just focusing on that story. You know, people have told me they like with daughters of forgotten light, they've cried at the end, and it felt very cathartic to them. And with smoke eaters, you, and they they like ate 
they read one and then the other like right after and that's like a high honor because i rarely read the same author back to back yeah it's 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 tough for an author to hook me that thoroughly it's been in the last five years i can say there has been one author that has gotten me through a series of books that addictively and that's david weber who who wrote the safe hold series which is yeah he's very with, well uh, bane yeah yeah, and that's the one series that I was like that I just binge read everything else. Even even Michael J. Sullivan's latest, um, the books, the the new Age of Legends series. I listened to them, I enjoyed them, but I you know, because he released them so far apart, I didn't really binge them. And so you know, even the series that are out today, it's it's been hard for me to find one to binge read. Um, so yeah, when you find that series, it's just it's just such a wonderful feeling. You know, it's just you dive in and just wallow in this masterful world that the author has created that's why i wanted to be an author is because i wanted to have that journey myself you know there were so many amazing characters that i read i fell in love with the lies of Locke lamora by scott lynch brandon sanderson the stormlight archive mistborn you know i was like i want to make a character like this that people are like oh this guy or this girl is just an amazing character that i loved reading and oh i love this and that I, i wanted to do that yeah, you know Scott was a volunteer firefighter for a while. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm getting my publisher to send him a copy of Ash Kickers because he told Ooh. me he had smoke eaters, and I was like, "What? This is that the greatest is day so- of my life." <laughs> I know, man. That would be that would be so amazing to have to have an author like that. So I actually wrote my book, the the Hero of Darkness series, based on uh, Night Angel by Brent Weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a an agency uh, brother of mine. Yeah. And so the Night Angel is, you know, it's this this badass assassin with the mysterious past, amazing powers. But the story of Night Angel focused a lot on the the younger character, the Kylar Stern. Right. And so I was like, you know, I want I want more Durzo Blint, so I'm going to write my own. And so that was <laughs> like I literally wrote this character because I loved the concept of this older, more mature badass in the prime of his powers doing awesome stuff. And that was that was what inspired me to write this story. So I would be I would love it if one day he picks up my book and he's like, "This is pretty damn good." <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, man, it's it's awesome when other authors, especially ones you look up to, yeah. uh, read your stuff. Um, it's 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 so surreal. And you'd mentioned, you know, we talked about uh, reading an author, finding an author that you're like, yes, and I'm going to read everything they they've written. And and for me, it's not even about series. It's just they're they're writing like for me, uh, Grady Hendrix. Uh, I love Grady's books. Uh, he, they wrote uh, my best friend's Exorcism and uh, Horror Store. I have not read Horror Store. I tried to listen to the audio book, and then and it's it was actually read by Balky from Perfect Strangers. And, <laughs> and I think my agent, when he was an editor, edited that book. And then uh, the most recent one uh, he came out with was uh, oh. We sold our our souls, which is very like rock and roll, and and um, it's not really about demons, but kind of sort of. Anyway, I, I highly recommend Grady Hendrix, and also uh, the guy who wrote the last werewolf. Oh, that's one I haven't heard of. You haven't heard? Oh my goodness! And for some stupid reason, I can't remember his name. <laughs> But yeah, he he wrote the last werewolf, and then that that's a series, uh, and, and he also wrote I Lucifer, which I need to check out. But anyway, mm, that, yeah, that one I have heard of. H- have you noticed though that b- being a writer, especially the more you get into this career, has it changed you as a reader? Yes, absolutely. Because I'm so much more picky now. Yeah, and it's annoying. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's almost I it's it's almost impossible for me to find a good book to read. Like the last the last book that I really that I really breezed through was uh, Bloody Rose by Nicholas Eames because that one, you know, after reading Kings of the Wild, I was like, I've got to read this one. Yeah. Um, but even then, you know, after reading Kings of the Wild, I was just blown away. And then with Bloody Rose, I was like, wait a minute, I wouldn't have done this. Hmm, that sentence structure is wrong. You know, you can't you can't shut off the editor's brain eventually. Right. You really can't, and this, <laughs> it's it gets on my nerves sometimes because oh, it feels like I go through like ten books sometimes, and it's just like I want to like this. Yeah, I want to keep reading, 
but I, I just, there's so many books out there. And plus now I'm getting, you know, requests for blurbs. And so I've got, I, I try to make that a priority because, you know, yeah, especially sure. because they're, they're friends who've blurred my stuff. So I'm not going to be that asshole. It's like, well, thanks for your blurb, but I'm not going to blurb <laughs> your stuff, you know? <laughs> and it's good too. So that helps, <laughs> but it's, oh, it's so difficult. It's, but, yeah. but let's focus now on your books. What, All what right. you've written a lot um, so what, what I guess would be a good starting point for a reader to know what an Andy Pelliquin book is? So the first book that I ever published in this world, obviously, we're not going to talk about that book, which must not be named, that I unpublished. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, it was called uh, Blade of the Destroyer, and it is now Dark Blade Assassin. So that's the first book of the Hero of Darkness series. So if you want sort of an immersive experience in my world that introduces a lot of the politics and religion and a bit of the magic and history and world building, that's the book to start. Because it it throws you right in the middle of things through the eyes of this half demon assassin with this cursed dagger that drives him to kill. So he's he's you know, he's your classic villain, but in the in the in the shape of an anti-hero, essentially. And and so the whole series, the Hero of Darkness series, this big, epic, world-sprawling adventure that he goes on to find out about his past, you know, his mysterious past that he can't remember, which is a thing that, that factors into the story and is very important. And, you know, hunting for other demons and sort of tracing his, you know, his purpose in life through the story. Now, if you're the kind of person who watched Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, 5, and 6, then you're going to be a chronological reader who should start with Child of the Night Guild, which is the first of the Queen of Thieves series, because that one takes place about 10 to 15 years before Hero of Darkness. A totally different character, totally different city. But then by the second book, the character goes to the city where the the assassin hangs out and she meets some of his contacts and she steals the masks the 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 alchemical clay that he uses for his masks and um you know the, the enemies that he destroys in hero of darkness are her main enemies and so it's I, like i've done this thing where every story is connected to the others in many many ways sort of like how marvel comics does it i'm a huge marvel fan so i was like i'm gonna do that with my books <laughs> keep keep the whole universe together Exactly. Every every story that I have written and will write is going to be set in this same world. And I, that's one reason I've refused to have a map of the world done, because I don't want to lock myself into, you know, this is the continent that I've built. And now if I want to go and do another story somewhere else, I've got to add another continent somewhere else, you know, like so I, I've I've kept the continent deliberately fairly vague so I can keep adding bits and pieces on and expanding the realm as I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, uh, what what are where are some uh, so you talked about this this uh, series of books and it, you t- the universe you're creating. Uh, what what are some other books that readers can check out? Um, so there's there's three series: the Queen of Thieves series, the Hero of Darkness, and the new Heirs of Destiny series. Basically. The the Hero of Darkness and Queen of Thieves are tied to each other, and then Heirs of Destiny is the sequel spinoff to the both of them. So, like, the young characters from both series join, team up, and save the world. Um, I've also got Different Not Damaged, which is a standalone collection of short stories set in the world. It's all featuring disabilities like PTSD and autism and uh, Alzheimer's, fibromyalgia, it, through the context of a fantasy story. Cool. Sort of, sort of exploring these things without the, you know, the diagnosis, how people coped with them or how they affected people's lives or how people lived with them or triumphed as a result of them, not just despite them, in these fantasy stories. And again, it's all set in the same world, same city, characters that will be instantly familiar and stuff. So it's it's an interesting look at these disabilities in fiction. Do you find it easier having written in the world to write more books in them? I mean, it gets easier, right? It does get easier, and it's also harder because you've got to explain the same thing over and over again. Like, yes, I've, I've got to explain who the the long keeper is in every single series. Now, if a reader has read three series, he's like, yes, I know who the long keeper is. You know, I don't need to know that he's the god of death, and you know, blah 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 every time. So it's sort of finding this this balance between new readers 
and older readers, you know, people who've read my other stuff. So it is a definitely a difficult balance to strike at the same time because I've got this world already built. I don't need to come up with a pantheon or, you know, a, a history or a culture totally from scratch. It's just basically taking what I've already done and changing it or shifting the the mythology a bit according to the, you know, the, the god that is most prevalent in that city or things like that. It's It's adding a piece onto an already existing world. That's excellent. So I have a question before we go into our last question because we're going to yeah. wrap things up. Do you know anything about how to advertise on the Kindle? Because you know on the Kindle, you you turn it off and it goes to this book advertisement. Do you yep. know anything about that? Like how much that costs and if it's effective at all? Because I have not bought a single book that way. But I do look at it, so it does kind of create awareness. Do you know what is what is that and how much does it cost, do you think? So up until up until a couple of months ago, that was called a product display ad, and those were hard to get because of whatever reason, Amazon's advertising platform is a little finicky. Now, however, it's called a lock screen ad, and because it's fairly new, there hasn't been a lot of competition compared to the other ads, you know, that you see placed around the, the Amazon page, you know, sponsor products or, you know, the, the one right underneath the buy link. Um, from what I hear, the lock screen ads have not been very effective because a lot of readers accidentally click on it. You know, they're trying to open their Kindle. <laughs> and then and they, so they get pissed off. <laughs> exactly. Or, and then so, you know, you end up paying for that click or whatever. And, and so you end up spending a lot more money than you would otherwise. Oh, so um, the author, y- you or whoever pays for the ad has to pay for per click. Yeah. So that's, that's oh. the, the style. It's called pay per click. It's, it is considered the most effective form of advertising compared to cost per, uh, you know, for the impression ads. But, uh, but yeah, it's tricky, you know, so you can get a lot of clicks that people, you know, go to the landing page and they're like, meh, or yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll it later. So it's, you know, it's, it's always, that's one of the things that, that it's so important to learn about as an author is all of the ins and outs of it you know everything from writing a kick-ass blurb to getting an awesome cover made to setting up ads testing the ads analyzing you know the success uh the thing okay what's not working what could i do better things like that it is it is a non-stop career that has to go hand in hand with the actual writing process or else you're never going to succeed as as an author and uh, as a traditional author i have to throw out there that that would help other traditional authors as well. Um, because sometimes you have huge amount of support from your publisher, sometimes not as much as you'd like. So, yep. and, it, and heck, you know, one day you might go hybrid, so might as well start learning this stuff now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That a lot of the, the big name authors, we're not talking Brandon Sanderson level big, but, you know, like even Mark Lawrence, Michael Sullivan, these people who have made amazing success with traditional publishing, they are advocating learning the ins and outs of the self-publishing trade just because the market is so different now than it was when Brandon Sanderson was first published. You know, the, right. the game is totally changed. And, you know, the, the older models, even the big five publishers are struggling to keep up with the changing markets. It's why many of them have gone into Kindle Unlimited, in fact. Um, you know, digital-only books that go into Kindle Unlimited because that opens up access to a massive reader base. Or they're starting to pay for those, you know, pay-per-click advertisements that they never would have bothered with before when they were relying, you know, m- mainly on uh, book-and-mortar sales. So things are definitely changing. And, and people who invest the time and effort into learning the ins and outs of marketing, whether they go self-publish or whether they um, get a traditional book deal, they will be way better off than anyone who just writes an amazing book and submits it to a publisher. Right. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap things up, Andy. Uh, It's been awesome having you on here. Thank you so much. And I want to ask you what your writer goals are for your future. (sighs) My writer goals. Well, I obviously, like all writers, I want to make a comfortable living off of it. I want to stop worrying about, okay, I have to put out this next book quickly so that I can keep making enough money. I want to be able to, to you know, just earn a comfortable living where I can just focus on, on the stories. But I want, to, I want to just keep writing until I run out of stories, which at this rate is going to be never. And it's, it's all about 
new stories, new angles, new challenges for myself. So the the last series that I wrote had four point of view characters all intertwined, and that was the biggest challenge I'd ever faced. And I don't think I'll ever do it again because it's such a, such a nightmare. But but just you know, like I I find ideas everywhere, and I just want to keep writing and writing them and building them into this world and having these characters that people fall in love with over and over again um, for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Andy. Where can people find you? Well, everywhere you can find me is, is at my name, Andy Pelequin. That's P-E-L-O-Q-U-I-N. My website's andypelequin.com. I'm on Amazon as Andy Pelequin. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, which I don't ever really use, sadly. And also the Fantasy Fiends podcast, which is a weekly show that is probably the best podcast on the, on the internet. <laughs> he, he, he says he says humbly on another person's podcast. <laughs> well, you had me on last night, so I really can't argue with that. It's kind of this weird catch twenty two in it. I would say I would say it's probably one of the funnest podcasts on the internet for for fantasy readers. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. I had a blast. It was yeah. awesome. Um. And I'm glad I got to to <laughs> use the baby dragon and the helmet. Yeah, I, that's you know that's the beauty of these web uh, the video based podcasts is we get to do all kinds of stuff. Like a couple of weeks ago, um, I had made a, a, a not a bet but a promise that if we hit 300 subscribers, I'd shave half my beard off. So I did a whole episode with just half a beard. Oh my or goodness! Stevie, Stevie did a whole episode after hitting 200 subscribers in Venom face paint. You know just. <laughs> This is the kind of stuff that we get to do with a web-based, I mean, a video-based uh, podcast that it, it's just so much fun for me. Well, yeah, and it gives it, you know, that's something different. And it's fun, you know? It's not like work. I'm sure you guys would do that if <laughs> even if you weren't on, on the screen, you know? But that's awesome. That is I, very true. We are We are kind of silly people. <laughs> I highly recommend it to everybody listening now to go check out Fantasy Fiends, especially the one with me. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Last last night's episode was was a lot of fun. Actually, that was probably one of the one of the best episodes we've had in a while because it was just a lot of fun. The reading was fun. Stevie Stevie did a great job with his with his Afu voice. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, the character voices he did were. I was cracking up the whole time. I was afraid I was going to miss my spot yeah. because I was just laughing the whole time. But it was you know, awesome. That's why- that's why I started the podcast because I had I do live or I used to do up until recently. Um, I was doing live readings of my own books in my Facebook reader group and stuff, and I would I would do all the voices. I love accents and stuff, so I would you know I would break out my Scottish accent or my French accent or my whatever accent to do the character voices and readers. I mean my 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 fans loved it. So so when we Stevie contacted me about starting a podcast, I was like, all right, as long as we can do these live reenactments of authors' works, I'm totally in. So that's it's my favorite part of the whole show is because we get to have fun doing the voices. That's why I asked the authors, you know, okay, so what kind of character is he? Is he a you know a posh British nobleman or is he a Scottish barbarian or stuff like that? And I and I break out my accents often terribly, but it's still it's still a ton of fun. <laughs> well, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, definitely, Andy. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And you're welcome to come back anytime. And I hope readers out there will check out your stuff. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. <laughs>